0: taking up a variety of topics, as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. In today's episode, I visit with Dan Zittig. He is the chief product and strategy offer at Galvanize. We take a look at various types of stakeholder engagement and how this has been made more difficult in the era of COVID-19 and the coronavirus health crisis, and how Galvanize is helping its customer base manage its stakeholders during these trying times. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today, I have with me Dan Zitting. Dan is with a company called Galvanize that I thought and one of the most unique uh, solutions around actually a variety of compliance issues. So I asked Dan if he might be able to come on and talk to us about uh, the solution, uh, how it's deployed, and how uh, customers can utilize it. And uh, he took some time to, uh, to visit with me. So first of all, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Tom.
0: So could you tell us your role at Galvanize?
1: Yeah, my role is I am Chief Product and Strategy Officer is my official title, um, but I'm a practitioner by background in in uh, audit and compliance, uh, IT compliance in particular, and um, just over time um, built some expertise in, in software and ended up in in the the realm of of building software to help with those those same issues.
0: So, Dan, uh, as you know, this podcast series is called Innovation in Compliance. And what I'm trying to do is bring really innovative ideas to a wide variety of compliance practitioners. And over the course of this series, one of the things that struck me is when I can visit with people like you who may practice perhaps a different kind of compliance than, than mine, and mine is anti-bribery, anti-corruption, mm-hmm. trade compliance, money laundering compliance, uh, IT compliance, HR compliance, you name the compliance, you can really get a cross fertilization or is what I like to say, have your people talk to my people. And and that's really one of the reasons that I wanted to to visit with you but, and have you explain really what does the galvanized solution bring to and I'm going to just say the compliance practitioner
1: yeah, for sure. So, uh, we like to say our vision is to be the operating system for, for conscious organizations. And, um, what we mean by that is it is a, uh, we offer a platform called High Bond, um, that's a full set of, of technology tools. And our kind of role in the world is, um, you know, I think, like you said, there, there's lots of different types of compliance and executives really struggle to get clarity on kind of, um, all the different categories of uncertainty their organizations face, the state of compliance with some diverse set of obligations they have to meet. And I think of our role as kind of inspiring that executive confidence by using technology um, to create this this layer of of visibility and protection um, that ensures the the organization can um, can more reliably meet its meet its goals and that's what the high bar, high bond platform ultimately is is this single source of truth um, that uses a, a single methodology to kind of normalize how you think about risk and and compliance risk across all those different types of areas you just mentioned Tom and then in particular our specialization is in around um, you know we've historically always done this really manually um, and through assessments by people like compliance pros and auditors and that sort of thing um, we think the future is using data and watching data that's moving through the organization um, to see uh, and more keep, keep a real pulse on on risk and compliance in, in real time
0: and one of the things that struck me in researching you and the company was, Obviously, this tool could be used for a detection prong. Hmm. It could even be used perhaps for a protection prong. But it seems to me that it's extraordinarily powerful. And you just articulated the use of data that a company can use data to actually manage risk for a strategic vision. Would that be a fair assessment?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I I think, you know, when we think of these, these traditional kinds of ERM heat maps and, and, and compliance gap assessments and those sorts of things, um, those are the sorts of things that we think should be living and breathing all the time um and and um and adjusting in real time as data transactions flow through different systems in the organization and and um the ability to watch that and detect that is um is i think frankly transforming the the risk and compliance oriented uh, professions
0: so, did I understand you started your professional background in in the audit space? Uh, that's right, um, primarily in
1: uh, in internal audit and and um, and compliance uh, outsourcing in particular, and then um, and then uh, moving forward into uh, technology, and then in turn building technology <clears> for those things.
0: I have uh, several friends that uh, are in internal audit, and one of the interesting conversations I've had with them is. Um, how the audit profession has really moved from simply a detect function to these other types of function, functions prevent. And that's where compliance is is a few years behind audit, frankly. And that uh, the skills that you would utilize as an auditor to move to utilize them on a proactive basis, is that also one of the uh, uh, functions of, of galvanizing what you guys are trying to bring to the table?
1: Yeah, very much, uh, very much so. And I think what we see is a lot of organizations will start out with us, um, in detection mode. So you, um, you brought up anti-bribery compliance earlier. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for us to acquire a customer because they've run into a, they, they've run into a problem. They've internally identified or, or had a Department of Justice situation or whatever, um, where they want to historically look back and see, Based on all of our data, um, where might we have red flags that we haven't yet uncovered? But the real upside is of in using technology to do that is to then take that work and turn it and, and, and have it face um, real time first and then almost predictive in nature um, second to say, based on those kinds of rule sets and what we learn from our data, um, how can we watch in real time? Uh, first so that we catch red flags earlier, but then more importantly, what were the circumstances that led to that? And let's watch for those so that we can predict what will happen in the future. Um, I think that's the the sort of the curve and maturity of moving from that, from that purely detective to more of a, a preventive and forward-looking approach.
0: Then, in the anti-corruption world in June of this year, the Department of Justice issued some guidelines around Compliance program. So let me see if I can perhaps translate a little bit of what you're saying into compliance speak. (laughs) Um, Because the Department of Justice specifically said that the chief compliance officer, the compliance professional, the compliance function must have access to the company's entire data lake. If it's siloed, TS, baby. You got to figure out a way to break through that, those silos. Is that something that the uh, high bond platform can help is breaking through those silos?
1: Yes, it, it, it does. So we have, uh, out of the box over a hundred, um, different connectors to different types of data and systems. Everything from business applications like your ERP system to data lakes and data warehouses to cloud applications, even, um, you know, even to things like sensor data or public data, blacklists, all of these sorts of things. So our idea is, by by connecting to all of those different um, places that data exists, that we can help consolidate and make clean and make sense out of all of that data and put it in a single place where then um, the compliance professional can use it as, as the, you know, the quote unquote cl- compliance data lake, so to speak, so that they can actually, they have the access necessary to go looking for those types of, of transactions or red flags.
0: Another key element from that 2020 update was, the uh, emphasis the Department of Justice put on continuous monitoring and continuous improvement. That's been a part of compliance programs, but they've said now that you must engage almost in, uh, I don't want to say daily, but ongoing continuous monitoring, and then not simply just monitoring, but taking that information and looping that back in to your compliance program. You talked about uh, the galvanized system using AI it seems to me that that equates to a continuous monitoring and then using that information to improve your program. Would that be a fair assessment as well?
1: Yeah, that's right, in two senses. Um, One sense is, uh, you know, unlike just using Excel spreadsheets or a a business intelligence tool, when we identify one of those red flags, um, of course, we route it around and workflow it through the organization to say, what kind of change do we need to make so this doesn't happen again? Um, We'll resolve it. We'll update a policy here. We'll do training there. So there's that kind of workflow of saying red flags become continuous improvement in the organization but the second piece of that really is the the machine learning layer to say hey if we've identified through whatever means and um a, a bribe or some other kind of of compliance red flag um we can use machine learning to then um to then identify criteria by which the computer can predict and, and identify other um red flags that we may n- that we would have never seen um reviewing reviewing just manually. So I think there's almost two tracks of an of continuous improvement there. One is the workflow and the improvement that humans do, but then also better training our models and analytics um to to more accurately identify those types of red flags in the future.
0: I don't know how the story will resonate to you with your internal audit background, but in the summer of 2014, I read this thing called the COSO Internal Controls Framework, and uh, I found this to be revelatory. I first said, "Who wrote this? This is for compliance. This is not internal controls." Uh, I'm a lawyer, as I said, by professional background. And any time someone talked to me about internal controls, after my eyes rolled inside my head. I said, you don't understand. I'm a lawyer. I do cool stuff. Those people down the hall, the ones we don't let out of the closet, they do internal control. Anyway, it started for me a journey around internal controls and seeing that internal controls are really the backbone of every compliance program. And if you have SOX mandated financial internal controls, you have about 95% of the compliance controls you've made. So I was extraordinarily intrigued that the galvanized system specifically has a SOX internal controls and component. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I really liked your statement there about controls being the, the backbone. And that's very much the way our, our platform looks at that. Is we we like to think of it in the sense of if you run a really good business, if you run a well-governed business, there's going to be a set of strong processes and strong controls that that exist in that business. And to some extent, not in all cases, of course, but to some extent, if we then map those controls to compliance standards and to regulations, um, we can have compliance be a little bit more of a byproduct from the business perspective to say, we have a well-run business and we've now mapped that to how it shows that we're also a a, a compliant business. Um, And we treat all the different areas of compliance very much in that way. But Sarbanes-Oxley in particular is an especially good example because it was it's surely the most acute example of where um, something from a regulatory perspective very clearly said you must have internal controls that cover um, this, this spectrum. Of, of your business. And so um, so that's very much what we do is um, from for a, a SOX perspective, um, we have a set of, um, of uh, recommended or kind of stand quote unquote standard controls um, by industry. Um, those may be adjusted based on your particular processes and that sort of thing. But the key for us is then saying we go right back to the data. So if I have a control that says, We make sure that we remove employees that have been terminated from the company from our IT systems on a timely basis. Common control, important to the business, Um, rather than going around and auditing that once a year and looking backwards in time, we can just look at the data. We can look at the IT systems in real time and say, hey... Looking at this IT system, we see somebody who was removed from payroll. Shouldn't they have also had their access cut off? Um, and the system will automate controls in, in that regard. So, um, something like SOX compliance becomes more an act, more an activity in, um, in confirming and certifying those results rather than this big multi-million dollar assessment activity, manual assessment activity, um, every year that it's, that it's otherwise historically been.
0: I really like that example because you named at least three different disciplines of control. You named HR control, you named IT control, and you named compliance control. Is that conversation about how one control can serve a variety of disciplines? Something that, that a conversation you have with your clients or Digital customers,
1: we do. We we very much try to have that conversation about shifting the mindset to this idea that you described of that that back that that backbone that framework of internal control, because then we can connect all those different uh, all those different parts of the um, all those different parts of the organization and the compliance um, obligations that each one uniquely has. Um, I, you know, I think that said, in really large organizations, it's it's still a battle. There's there's still still a lot of disconnects and silos um, uh, to, to, um, looking at control in a, in a, in a consistent sort of way across those different areas. And often what we see is sort of this exercise of, um, what we might think of as kind of land and expand. Let's get control sorted out for financial reporting first, show how that works. Let's then bring in HR, Hey, it, you can automate in the same way, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of, uh, and kind of mature, um, as we move out through the functions. But that's where the real, the real power is, the real um, aha moment is, um, because you know, top executives in the board, um, they have to worry about all of that. So when I can see a picture of how controls work across the organization, that's the, that's the goal state. That's kind of the panacea.
0: Let me change the focus just a little bit, because I was extraordinarily intrigued by a couple of statements on your website, and I'll just read them to you. Our purpose is to challenge the planet's organizations to maximum stakeholder impact by operating with a conscience. And uh, I was really struck by not shareholder impact, but stakeholder impact. As you know, the um, uh, corporate, uh, excuse me, Business Roundtable had their statement on the purpose of a corporation, which changed that language from shareholders to stakeholders. And I was wondering if that language on your website really ties to that concept that there are multiple stakeholders.
1: Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I use that exact example. It's about a year ago now that that change in statement of purpose was on the cover of Forbes magazine. Um, and I think it's the perfect example to say, you know, for in, in the nine, in the eighties and nineties, companies were valued based on how much profit they generated. Um, in the two thousands, they've largely been valued based on, um, how fast they could grow revenue. Um, now I think we're shifting into a place where the actual valuation of companies is becoming more dependent on how um, on how they interact with all stakeholders. And I think that's why that's that's changed. I like to say, um, in many respects, millennials are the GRC generation because um, I think companies will, in fact, um, derive actual value from a, a you know a per share perspective. From not only are we generating Financial returns, um, but we're treating the environment properly. We're interacting ethically with our suppliers. Um, we treat our employees right. All of these, all of these sorts of these sorts of topics. Um, and again, I think it comes back to that kind of idea of of governance and internal control behind the scenes being what what makes sure that 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 conscience um, permeates the organization.
0: Well, if millennials are the GRC generation, does that mean Gen Z is the ESG generation? I think yeah. I think that's a
1: good. Uh, I think that's a really great um, sort of extension of that line of thought. Yes, very much so. <laughs> uh,
0: one of the things that uh, I was very intrigued about on your website is you have some great materials and you have multiple case studies. And I wanted to ask you about one, which was something called I believe Uniting Care, uh, Australia's largest nonprofit health, aged care and disability and community service provider, and it's entitled connecting data, automating processes, and driving greater insights. And I was wondering if you could maybe just describe what you were able, what the solution, I suppose, would able to bring to this Australian organization.
1: Yeah, for sure. So that was a a case where, um, they had implemented the the high bond platform and the data automation that I uh, that I had mentioned before um, for for a couple of reasons. One um, to in fact um, implement and 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 measure and audit um, internal control over financial reporting, um, but also to identify opportunities uh, for hard savings, fraud, waste, abuse, those sorts of things. Um, and so that particular case study, I think, speaks to where there was, um, for example, a, a, a I think it was. $1.1 dollars in in um, in uh, duplicated payments that had gone out to vendors was identified I think the important bit is there great that we saved it, that we identified a million bucks that we can go back and um, we can go back and, and recoup from our, our vendors but the other key being upstream is hey so what does that mean is, is, a, is a million bucks really important to us do we have big control Breakdowns upstream. Um, what does that mean from a broader uh, a broader standpoint about our, our risk and control um, kind of posture in the in the organization? Um, that's the sort of questions that the, that an implementation like that was designed to to answer.
0: Well, then unfortunately we are near the end of our time for this episode. But I was wondering if listeners wanted more information on yourself or any of the topics we've talked about, where can they go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, definitely to our website. Uh, our company name is Galvanize, but our website is wegalvanize.com, com. Um, so definitely visit there the resources and case studies, um, you, you'd mentioned, of course. And, um, you can find me on, uh, LinkedIn in particular, uh, Dan Zitting on LinkedIn. As far as I know, I'm the only Dan Zitting on, on LinkedIn and, um, and likewise on, on Twitter um, love to, uh, to connect with anybody who's interested in these topics I'm interested in connecting with. So appreciate that. Well, Dan, I
0: appreciate you taking the time to visit with me and I look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Very much so. Thanks very much.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this motioning podcast in the Compliance Podcast Network. So if you could tell one person about it, send them a copy, send them a link, do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. Compliance and Coronavirus is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network, and it appears Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of each week. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode.